thank you again uh, for having us. The food was very, very good, especially for retreat. And so hopefully you guys don't get food coma and stay awake. Um, so I know you guys got quizzed a little bit about what we talked about earlier on uh, the earlier session. And so in order to help you understand where I'm going to go, I'll kind of give you a preview of what each service is going to be about. Um, we had our vision test um, to kind of see if you're able to see the gospel clearly. Uh, check if there's any blind spots and to kind of readjust everything. <clears throat> so tonight, tonight what I'm going to talk about is how to look at church or ministry through a gospel-centered lens. Tomorrow morning I'm going to talk about how to go to work, what you guys mainly do for the majority of the time during the week, how to go to work with a gospel-centered lens. Tomorrow night I'm going to talk about how to give, view your money through a gospel-centered lens. And then finally, uh, I'm going to look at the area of how to live your life in relationship with God and other people through a gospel-centered lens. So the idea is that I'm trying to cover multiple areas um, in our lives. Uh, your time at church, your time at work, even how you spend your money and how you use your relationships all with the gospel-centered lens. Which is why I thought the first one was very important to understand uh, the motivation for all. Because uh, if we're not careful, we might be trying to follow all these steps or all these things to do, but if you don't do it with the right picture of who Jesus is, you might just get caught up in some religious activity. And so having laid the foundation, I want to look at the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And so we're going to talk about how does it look like for a church to have a gospel-centered ministry? What does it look like for the leaders to have a gospel-centered ministry? or And the members, and how does that work together? And what is the picture and the fruit of it all when all of these things come together in harmony? And so I'm going to read the text for us and pray. And we'll get into today's message. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. <clears throat> and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, and as we uh, look at the model ministry, look at the model church picture of the gospel that we would examine ourselves, examine our place in the church, examine how we, how we can play a role in growing a shining star uh, to be the type of church that is centered on the gospel with all its fruits. So I pray that you would challenge us, show us where we are lacking, show us where we need to grow so that we can address it and really um, be the type of church that you designed us to be. 
pray now for me. Uh, be with me now as I speak. Uh, help me to speak with clarity and conviction and in a way that your spirit can use my words to really help our hearts grow and transform. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, when I say the word ministry, what comes to mind? Maybe some of you guys are thinking pastors or missionaries or church planners or evangelists or the people who are in the front doing all the music, right? I mean, your pastors are very talented. They do music, preaching all. It looks like they do it all. So that's what we usually think about ministry, right? And I know for myself growing up in church, that's usually how I thought of ministry. Ministry was the responsibility of a few leaders, and everybody else kind of just supports those leaders, uh, give money to them, and kind of watch and, and, and let them do the work, right? We're the audience, and they're the ministers. But if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, the way Paul pictures a church is not really that picture. Did you know that you are a minister, whether you went to seminary or not? You are a minister, whether you get paid or not. You are called to do the work of ministry, not just a few leaders. See, that's what we're going to address today. Paul's going to give us a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. And in the beginning of this letter in the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, he talked about how the gospel should inform our identity. He talked about how we are saved because we once were dead in our sins, we've been resurrected unto life. He talked about how we're saved by grace, how we've been reconciled with people who are different than us. He talked about how we've been adopted, how we are his treasure. And after three chapters of talking about our new identity, finally gets to the point of talking about the church's identity. How does it look for the church, for Christians to come together and to be one? And so with that, I want to start off with the first point, which is that leaders equip. Leaders equip. I want you to notice in verse 11, he lists out four offices. Paul says, Christ, and he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd, and teachers. So let me um, go through each one really quickly to help you understand what that is. So the apostles were the people who were commissioned directly by Christ with his authority to establish his church. Uh, this would have referred to the original 12 apostles. One of them, Judas, was a betrayer, and so he got replaced by Matthias. And later on, the apostle Paul got called to go to the Gentiles. And so the apostles were given a lot of power a lot of authority, and they're the ones who laid the foundation for the church. This is why, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it said that the foundation of the church are the apostles and the prophets. And so the apostles were kind of the guys who went around planning churches, starting churches, and building up the foundation. But that leads to the second office, and that is the, the prophet. And so what the prophet did, if you remember like the Old Testament, a lot of the prophets were like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, right? They all end with Yah because of Yah, 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 Yahweh, right? That's the idea. And what their job was is that they communicated God's word. So either they got it directly from God or they looked at some of the Old Testament passages and preached about God's word. And so there are Old Testament prophets and there were even New Testament prophets in the beginning of the church. In Ephesians 2.20 we see them and the apostles helped start the church. And so prophets usually stayed in one area. They stay with one community of people. They will preach God's word regularly and build up the church that way, while the apostles kind of went around just starting churches and, 
you know, evangelizing over and over. And so these were the foundational offices according to Ephesians 2.20. I mean, we don't have these prophets and apostles today, but we do have two other offices that play similar function. And so that leads to the third one. Although we don't have apostles, you notice the next one he says is that we do have evangelists. Evangelists, similarly to the apostles, are people who are gifted to preach the gospel in such a way that people respond and believe. Billy Graham, for example, you guys know him, so probably the most famous evangelist. <clears throat> Philip was an evangelist in the book of Acts, and so evangelists kind of went around helping churches, you know, give birth to churches because they'll preach the gospel and these newborn Christians will come forth. But the problem with the evangelists was that they would leave quickly. And so a lot of these people who responded to the gospel didn't have a person to help them grow. And so that led to the final office, which was kind of similar to the prophet, and that is the shepherd and teacher. Now the shepherd and teacher, they, this is actually two words referring to one office. Uh, so it's shepherd slash teacher. And this is probably the office you guys are familiar with. This is what we call pastors. Right? Usually pastors stay in one place for a while, in one congregation, and like the prophets, they're communicating God's word from the Bible, and they're building up the church through feeding the word of God. And so if evangelists are like gynecologists, <clears throat> uh, pastors are like pediatricians. They're helping you grow in your faith. And so <clears throat> to look at all of this, kind of summarize it real quickly, <clears throat> the two offices in the beginning, the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation, and the evangelists and the pastors, ever since that time, are continuing to, continually building upon that foundation, brick by brick, wall by wall. And throughout generations, there's always going to be evangelists and pastors. Evangelists and pastors. Evangelists preach the gospel, people become Christians, pastors help those Christians grow up to become more and more like Christ. And Jesus told Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Nothing will stop this movement. Nothing will stop this growth. Now, that's what the leaders do. Because the leaders are given as gifts from God to help build up the church. But, I want to focus now on a very important sentence of verse 12. <clears throat> Look at verse 12. It says that these offices, whether it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they are given to... What does the word say in verse 12? Someone can read it. To, some translations say equip. What else do you guys have? To, equip, to, is there another word you see there? To teach, to build. <clears throat> so the key word here is to equip. In other words, it doesn't say that these leaders are given to the church to do ministry. Do you see that? Let me show you again, verse 12. These leaders are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Did you catch that? <coughs> who does the ministry? The saints. You know who the saints are referring to? Us. Christians. People set apart for God. You know, I think a lot of the problems I had growing up and the confusion is that oftentimes, I think this is true for some of us here today, is that we view the church like a cruise liner. You know, we go, we pay a ticket, you know, the offering box ticket, put it in, make sure you got your ticket, you go on board, and then you expect a certain level of service. Right, I mean, if there's a cockroach in the food, I'm like, hey, 
somebody cockroaching the food, right? I go to my bed and it's all dirty, call room service, they clean the bed. The toilet overflows, you call the maintenance and then they fix the toilet. And you make sure there's activities and the workers aren't there, you call, hey, somebody make sure there's activities. You see on a cruise liner, you're the customer. You're the paying customer, and so you have every right to expect a certain level of service. But what Paul says is that the church is not a cruise liner. It's a fishing boat. And when you get on a fishing boat, everyone is expected to work. So if you see a sail that's kind of ripped, there's no room service to call. You need to fix that sail or else this ship's going to sink. If you see a hole in the water spewing, you don't just stand there. You need to do something or else the ship is sinking. If you see a bunch of fish, you need to grab a fishing pole and catch the fish. Because why? The success of the boat depends on not just one fisherman, but everybody playing their role. You see the difference? One is a very customer mindset. What do I get for what I pay for? Whereas a fishing pole says, no, you get to work. And the success of the boat depends on how much you contribute as well. See, church or ministry is a fishing boat. Do you remember what Jesus says? I'll, did he say, I will make you customers of cruise liners? He says, well, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, which means you need to fish. Kind of sounds obvious, but what that means is that other people can't fish for you. A few leaders can't fish for everyone. See, in a group of 30, 40, or 30,000, 30, whatever number of people are in a church, every person has to play a role in fishing. A few select leaders, even if they're highly gifted, cannot do the work of ministry. And here's the reason why. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians that the church is like a body. Can you imagine if your whole body was made up of one part? If your whole body was just a giant eye? Now, you got, we all say eyes are important. I like my eyes. I don't want to go away anytime soon. But my eyes cannot eat. My eyes cannot shake somebody's hand. It would kind of be weird if they could. My eyes, if it touched anything, will get affected easily. You see, the eye, as important as it is, cannot do everything. It cannot do what the ear was meant to do, or the foot was meant to do, or the hand was meant to do. The Apostle Paul says the church is a body. Some of us are like the mouths. We talk a lot, like me. And the mouths are great. You communicate, but the mouth cannot do what the ear, the nose, the, the hair, and the fingernails can't do. It can't replace the whole body. And can you imagine a person who only one body part is growing and the rest is not? It's a little, little weird, right? It's a little dysfunctional. If only their left hand was growing like this big and the rest of the body stays small. Can you imagine if my son Levi, only his right leg was growing and the rest wasn't? There will be something wrong without to go to the doctor, right? And so in the same way in the church, you can't just expect one group of people, the leaders, to grow, 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 while everyone stays the same. See, growth in the church happens when everybody plays their role. Everybody does their part. When the ear functions as an ear, when the hand functions as a hand, when the toes function as the toes, the nose of nose, etc., etc. See, we're a fishing boat, not a cruise liner. And I know some of you thinking, but we pay the pastors to do that. Right? I mean, it's so hard to share my faith, to pray, to do that. We pay them to do that. No, you pay them or you support them to equip you. Right, you, you are supporting them to give you the fishing pole, show you how to use it, but they can't do the work for you. See, speaking as a pastor, 
like, and the reason, and I can probably speak for your pastors, the reason why you went to ministry is because this, this, their passion is to help others grow into Christ, into the image of Christ. They love seeing people like understand the gospel, grow in their faith, but they can never do it for you. Right? I can never want it more than you want it. In the same way with my, with my sons, I can't force them to love Christ. I can't do it for them. I can't ride their bike for them or else they're never going to do it. I can't drive for them for the rest of their life or else they're never going to do it. See, somebody else cannot do the work that you were meant to do because if you never do the work, you will never grow. Does that make sense? See, that's the church. So when you come, it's not a, what do I get? Or how the pastor is going to serve me is what body part am I? How am I going to contribute? Because here's the thing, when the eye doesn't function, it hurts the rest of the body. And so some of you, if you're not serving and doing ministry, it actually affects everybody else. And you might be cognizant of that by saying, hey, we really need a better ministry here, right? I mean, this is really lacking in our church. Maybe God gave you that picture so that he wants you to fill that need. Maybe you notice that because you are wired that way and gifted that way to be the answer to the problem. See, I think one principle we all have to understand is that, yes, God will build his church, and he is sovereign, and it will be done, but God also ordained the means by which he will build his church. Let me explain to you. <clears throat> if God is in control, why do we pray? <clears throat> think about it. If God is going to do what he's going to do, right, which we believe, God can do it, he's going to do it regardless of whether we're involved or not, why do we pray? Well, the reason why we pray is because we understand that God chooses to reveal His will through the prayers of His people. You see, God didn't just say, this is what's going to happen. He said, this is how it's going to happen. God said, I will build my church, but you know how He will build this church? Jesus in Matthew 28 said, through you. When you go out, share the gospel, make disciples, help others, give them fishing poles, teach them how to fish, that's how I grow the church. The way Paul said in Romans is, how are you going to believe if they never hear? How are you going to hear if no one preaches the gospel? How are you going to preach the gospel unless someone is sent? You see, the way God changes the world and people is through the church. You're like, if you're seeing the culture, like, man, there's so much injustice. You know how justice comes into America? When the church exhibits justice and fights for justice and lives out justice. You know how unbelievers in your life will become saved? When the church, you, share the gospel to the unbelievers. You see, it's not a mystical thing where you kind of wait on God to zap people and change everything. He makes changes through you. You are the answer to other people's prayers. Did you know that? I mean, think about your own testimony. Some of you became Christians. I mean, not just some. I can probably say all of you became Christians through other people. Somebody, at some point, helped you understand the gospel or communicated to you or exhibited and lived out the gospel some way that it transformed you, right? You, the church, the members, are the ministers who are to go out and transform the culture and people around you. And so what happens when the leaders equip and the members minister? Well, Paul continues on in verse 13, it says, there's going to be a beautiful picture that comes from that. And so there's four things that will happen when the church is gospel-centered. Look at verse 13. Oops. 
He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so here's four results that will happen when leaders equip and members minister. This is what happens when your church is gospel-centered. This is the paradigm or the grid I want you to look at through Shining Star. Now, it's not to say that it's going to be perfect in every area, but it is to say that if you are a healthy and growing church, these four things should be evident, not growing in some way. Are you ready? For the test, you want to see, are we a growing gospel-centered church? First, a gospel-centered ministry will have unity. Unity. Notice what he said in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now, unity is very important to understand. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Very different. Uniformity means you have to look like me, talk like me, think like me, dress like me, and like the same things. That's not unity. In fact, unity is best seen with people who are different come together and they are united around something that transcends their differences. You see, uniformity is easy to accomplish. You just hang out with people who are just like you. Unity is something only God can accomplish because that is bringing different people who have nothing else in common except for Christ. You see, when you have Jesus in common, it doesn't matter what your differences are because if Jesus is more important and transcends all other things in your life, you should be able to unite with someone who also loves Jesus. This is the way I think about it. <clears throat> Do any of you guys here play like a classical instrument? Violin, cello, piano? Man, I really died out, I guess. When I was growing up, we all played classical instruments. It's like two of you guys, I mean. Um, but if you ever watch an orchestra, have you guys seen an orchestra? Okay, all right, so okay, I'll, I'll keep going. So if you ever seen an orchestra, before the, <clears throat> the concert starts, do you, you know how they tune up all the strings and you hear, and they all come to the same note? Do you know how they do that? It's not when the, the violin listens to the cello and they play the same string, and hey, you be just like me. That's not how it happens. It's not when the woodwinds go to the violins and say, hey, you play, we'll play just like each other. It's not when the, the percussion or the brass or whatever, it's not when they look at each other and try to be like each other. You know how they all become united? It's when all of them focus their attention to a tuning fork that plays a note outside of themselves and they all conform to that note. You see, when the violin focuses on that tuning note and the cello focuses on that tuning note and the percussion and the brass all focus on that tuning note, you know what happens? Unity happens. You know how unity happens in the church? It's not when I look at you and say, hey, you gotta look like me. You gotta like the Lakers like me. You know, you gotta, you gotta eat this kind of food. You gotta dress like me. You gotta talk like me. It's not when you look at each other and try to look like one another. It's when every person looks at Jesus. And when each person says, starts tuning their lives to Jesus and looks more and more like Him, you know what will happen? You will start to naturally unite with one another. Do you know how you tune your lives to be more like Jesus, according to Paul? When you do the work of ministry. Do you notice that? He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And do you notice the next thing he says? And of the knowledge of the Son of God, or Jesus, to mature manhood. That leads to the next point. Maturity. You see, one way everyone becomes united is when everyone becomes mature. Because the definition of maturity is to look like Jesus, right? Jesus was the most mature person in the universe. 
And so to look more and more like Jesus and to tune your lives to Jesus and to minister like Jesus is the way you become mature. And isn't that the goal for every person in this room to become mature? I know if as a parent, my goal for my kids is I don't want them to stay a baby forever. Otherwise, I'll lose my mind. I need some sleep, right? I need them to become independent. You see, maturity, by definition, means to be more self-sufficient and no longer dependent on somebody else. And the way that you spiritually become more and more mature is when you start to look more and more like Jesus and you don't stay in the immature state as a child where you need everything your way. You see, one of the things I learned with my kids is that maturity, the definition of maturity is is to be selfless and to have delayed gratification. In other words, to be a child, I notice, is to ultimately the difference between a baby and an adult is selfishness and they can't wait. Right? They can't wait. Delayed gratification is not there. I want candy. No. Now! Right? What's an adult suit? An adult, a mature person will say, can I have candy? No. Alright. I'll wait. It's not your time. You see? The picture of maturity spiritually is when you start to look more like Jesus. And Jesus was not only mature in the sense that he wasn't dependent on some other human being, but he was completely independent, sufficient, and patient. He waited. He was selfless. He thought about other people more than himself. See, do you notice the next phrase in verse 14? It says, so that we may no longer be children. Right? The opposite of maturity is to be a child tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know the way that you become more and more like an adult as well? This leads to the next point. It's when you start to grow in truth. <clears throat> grow in truth. So unity happens once you become mature, and maturity happens once you start growing in truth. Because here's the thing I notice about kids. It's very easy to trick them. Right? There's a reason why parents are protective of their kids. My sons are not that smart. I'm just being honest. I mean, they're smart for their age, but they're not like as smart as me, right? And so, my sons, if somebody came up and was really nice to them for two hours, they'd probably just go in the car with them. If somebody just say, we're going to go to mommy and daddy, they'll just go. You see, kids need protection because they don't know any better. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They don't understand discernment, right? To be able to distinguish what's wise and unwise. You see, what Paul says here is that when you are a spiritual child, you know what happens? You hear all these different teachings, you hear from all these different people or society and messages that you don't know how to distinguish what's right or wrong. Wow, sounds good to me. You kind of go that way. Your friend says, you should go this way. All right, I'll go this way. And you go back and forth and back and forth like waves in the ocean. Why? Because you don't know the truth very well. See, part of going to church is to be equipped with the truth. That's what leaders do. They equip you with the truth. The truth is the lens by which you look at everything else. Is this right? I mean, I know the culture says it's acceptable and popular, but is that really right? Is that what God wants? Well, you got to know the truth. What is God saying there? What would Jesus say there? Okay, I know this is what I feel. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to respond to some people who hurt me. But is that really the right thing to do? Well, how do you know? You go to the truth. See, knowing God's word and applying it becomes a test of how you grow in truth. It's very hard if you don't know that 2 plus 2 is 4. If you think it's 2 plus 2 is 9, you're not going to be very good at helping other people in math, right? In the same way, you can't 
You can't change other people with the gospel and help them grow in faith unless you're growing in truth. You have to know what's right. I mean, can you imagine if all your math teachers didn't know math? It's like, you ask them, okay, what's 5 plus 5? I don't know. Let's try to figure it out together. Then what good are you, right? Why are you my teacher? And, and the same way, the leaders are equipping you, not just to be students, but so that you can be teachers to other people, so that you can grow maturity, you can grow in truth, and that you replicate that with others around you. But finally, the fourth trait of a gospel-centered church, the first is unity. When you become, the way you become united is you focus on Christ and grow maturity, which is to be Christ-like. And when you mature, what the definition of maturity is that you know the truth more and more. You can discern. You're not easily tricked. But what that leads to finally is you grow in love. <clears throat> grow in love. Look at the end of verse 15. It says that we need to speak the truth in love. That's very important, love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you have not loved, even if you know all the truth in the world, even if you died a martyr, even if you could... To whatever for these miracles, without love, all of that is meaningless. Constantly in the Bible, we are commanded to speak the truth in love. There's a way to speak the truth in a way that is very hateful. You might be correct, but you're not trying to build up that person. You're not a very good teacher. You're just trying to show you know better. But the way you're a good teacher, the way you help others grow, the way you grow, by the way, is when you speak the truth in love. That's one of the greatest signs of a growing church. Are they not only growing in truth and maturity and unity, but are they growing in love? Because God is love, First John 4 8. So to be more God-like or Christ-like is to be more loving. To be more loving with the truth. And so we see the four different results of a gospel-centered ministry. When the leaders equip and the members minister, and when that harmony and that uh, comes together, the results, the fruit of that ministry is that the church would become united because everyone's no longer looking at each other, looking at themselves, they're looking at Jesus. The members will become mature because the more you look at Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, the more you emulate Jesus. And when they become mature, they start to grow in truth because they're learning more about who God is through His Word and even how to discern messages in this world. And finally, they grow in love because love is directed by God and His power. Now, let me make it real practical for you guys here. As you guys are thinking through yourself right now, and you're thinking about Shining Star, about all the different ministries you have, maybe all the different needs that are there, and some of you guys might be very intimidated. Man, I mean, I'm kind of used to watching the pastors do ministry. I don't even know where to begin, right? I mean, how do I even, I don't even know what I'm good at, right? I don't even know if I'm an ear or a nose, right? How do I know what to do? Let me help you a little bit. Let me give you little practical steps. Here's the first thing. God will not call you to do something that He has not equipped you to do. In other words... If you really hate children, you're probably not going to serve in the children's ministry. If you really hate teaching other people, you probably won't be a Bible teacher. If you have a bad voice and no one ever said you sang well, you probably won't be singing on the praise team. You see, you are created and wired specifically to fill a need in the church. And so just look at around yourself. Look at yourself. What am I good at? 
What are other people telling me I'm good at? What am I gifted in? How am I wired? And like, what are the ways that other people are responding and grown because of me? Right? The pastors can't do everything. For, for example, if you came to my church and I was the one that did the compassions ministry, everyone would walk away. That is, that is not one of my things. I'm not very compassionate. Or if you told me, hey, go up and sing, everyone will leave the church immediately. Because that's not me. You see, you need other people to affirm what is true in your life. What are you gifted in? What are you good in? What are other people telling me? But here's the second thing I'll tell you. If you don't know and you still don't know, don't just wait around, but put into practice what you already know. Put into practice what you already know. In other words, I don't think the problem for us is that we don't know enough. The problem for us is that we don't put into practice what we already know. I'm pretty certain that your pastors, or Pastor David especially, has taught you a lot, especially on Sunday service. I'm pretty certain you guys know a lot from scriptures, especially if you've been in church. The problem isn't that you aren't being taught enough or you don't know enough. The problem is we don't put into practice what we already know. Think about it like this. <clears throat> just wishing something, just wishing something that would happen will not make it happen, right? Did you guys know that? Just wanting something doesn't make it happen. I'm reminded of this every morning when I get up and I stand in front of the mirror and I wish I was fit. And I really wish it. But here's the problem with me. I don't lack knowledge. I used to do sports, believe it or not. I used to do sports. And I had a nutritionist in college. I knew every. You know what? It's, it's, it doesn't sound like, it's not that complicated. For me, I know. Exercise more and eat less. And stop eating french fries, right? See, the problem is that knowledge. What's the problem? I can't put into practice what I know. Why? Because I don't want it bad enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not focused on that goal. See, I guarantee all of you guys know what you should be doing spiritually. You know what you should be doing at Shining Star. You're looking like, oh, this person is in my life constantly. I know God wants me to share the gospel with them. And you're kind of looking in the mirror like, I wish that person gets it. I wish they hear the gospel. You know what Jesus was saying? Go do it. You know what needs to be done. Put it into practice. Right? Think about other areas of your life. How many of you guys know how to ride a bike? Okay. How did you end up riding a bike? How did you learn how to do that? How did you grow in that area? Was it when you saw someone else ride a bike and just sat there every Sunday for an hour watching somebody else ride a bike? Or was it when a, a teacher came up and taught the 20 million stuff of how to ride a bike? Or was it when you just watched YouTube videos of how to ride a bike? Or was it when you bought that expensive guaranteed bike that would make you ride a bike? No, you know how you rode a bike? You rode a bike. It's not, it's not rocket science. You rode a bike. You got on. It wasn't pretty at first. You fell down over and over again. You made mistakes. You tripped. But eventually, over time, that muscle built up and you learned how to ride a bike. Isn't that how we grow in any area of life? Isn't that how we learn how to drive? Learn how to write? Learn how to read? Put into practice what you already know. It might not be pretty at first. That first time you shared the gospel, you might, you might even not remember what Jesus' name was, right? But put it into practice. Over time, that muscle will grow and you will get better and grow more and more. Maybe you're not very patient. 
put it into practice and practice patience. Maybe you can only hold it together for five seconds and then you blow up. At least start somewhere, right? You can't lift 250 pounds if you never lift the five pounds. So start with the five pounds, lift to the 10 pounds, 15 pounds, build up your spiritual muscles. And so the way the shining star will start to grow as a church is when every person grabs their fishing pole and gets to work. Every person. So what's your role as shining star? What body part are you? What do you need to put into practice that you know you probably should be doing and you really want it to happen, but you just haven't put it into practice? I really know I should read the Bible more than make a plan and stick to it. One verse a day. Hey, you can do one verse a day. Just start there. One verse is better than no verses, right? Then build up that muscle. Two verses is better than one verses. Three verses is better than two. I know I need to pray more. Try ten seconds a day. I'm not being... Joking, just 10 seconds a day, build up that muscle, then 20 seconds, 30 seconds, woman, I need to share the gospel more. Okay, well, get to know people. Do you have friends? If you don't, start with one friend, right? Meet one person, talk with that friend, pray with that friend, get to know that person, and share the gospel, share how you go to church, share how Christ changed your life. Maybe it's the priest and you're like, man, I, I know that, you know, music can be better because I'm really good at music. Well, put it into practice then. Talk to the praising leader. Say, I can do this. I can try. Let me shadow you. Let me learn. Maybe it's like you need, you need a bigger children's ministry. You need more help. And you're like, I love kids. Well, don't just play with kids at school. Why don't you come and serve the kids? You see, God has gifted and wired every single one of you to fill a need at the church. And when all of you start to do that together, you know what happens? The cello tunes to that tuning fork. The violin tunes to that tuning fork. The flute tunes to that tuning fork. And then you start to create beautiful music together. But as long as you're focused on just yourself, or just that person next to you, the symphony is going to sound out of whack and out of tune. But when all of us understand we're not on a cruise liner, we're on a fishing boat, we all play a role, we all need to tune ourselves to Jesus. When that happens as a church, you know what will happen to Virginia, D.C.? Not just explosion in numbers, I mean that's not even the metric I care about, but you guys will explode in love, explode in truth, maturity, and people will be transformed because of you. And I know that's what you guys want, right? I know that's what I want for every church, including the one I'm a part of. And so Paul says, if that's the type of church you want, a gospel-centered ministry, leaders need to equip, members need to minister, and everyone needs to grow in the truth, maturity, unity, and love. And how do you do that? Put into practice what you already know. Start with baby steps. Build up from there. And God will use all of your efforts. Remember what Jesus told Peter. I will build my church. In the gates of Hades, Satan himself cannot stop this growth. And the way he grows his church is through common people like you and me. Not through the superstar pastors, but through the members, through the hands, through the feet, through the nose, and the eyes all working together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word, and we thank you for what Paul has given us as the blueprint of how to have a gospel-centered ministry. 
I pray especially for Shining Star, for everyone here as they examine themselves, examine their gifting, their spiritual gifts, examine their personalities and how they are wired, that your spirit will make it clear how they can fill a need in the church, how they can help this church grow with their gifts, how they can put into practice some of the truths they already know. And I pray that we would learn how to be more focused on the mission at hand of ministry in front of us, that we wouldn't get lazy or we wouldn't just make excuses, but we would get our hands dirty and do the work of ministry together. I pray that you help the leaders continually equip the members, but more importantly, you will also help the members not just to hear and be students, but to be doers of the work, to put into practice what they have learned. Be with Shining Star. Bless their ministry immensely. Help them grow in unity, maturity, truth, and love. And let them be a shining light to their community. We thank you and praise in your son's name.